you know, even if this year you were like, yeah, I'm an online business and I crushed it. Great. Amazing. You're going to have a bad year no matter what. You know, it might be a bad personal year. Right. And so you got to build in scaffolding to be able to support for those bad years. And and I often think, you know, again, balancing the concept of short term money and long term money, always sharpening those skills so that when you do have your bad year, you can call on your short term money and say, okay, here's what I need, whether that's a loan, whether that, you know, so so building those scaffolding sort of uh, slowly over time is what's going to, to help the health and the lifetime of, of your business. This is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro Three, two, one. Hello friends, Maestro here and welcome back to another episode of Maestro on the Mic. This is going to be our second to last, not episode ever, but episode regarding the State of the Union series. Uh, That in mind, I am actually super stoked for today's guest. We actually went to undergrad together, whoop whoop, go Hoyas. And we reconnected at a ConvertKit conference, and she's just been showing up in an incredible way on Instagram. And y'all know that that is my love language. So I've been stuck in her stories, and I was like, yo, Lauren, would you do me the honor of joining me for a podcast episode? Because you're saying such good shit, and I would love for my people to hear what you've done during this pandemic, because we were kind of talking this before, uh, before we hopped on, not even sure if pivot is the right word. Maybe it's kind of like press restart. I don't even, I don't know. But I I think that what the story that she's going to tell and the, uh, the bombs that I know she's going to drop will resonate with quite a few of you. So I'm not going to read the little intro, you know, background thing. I'll let her, I'll let her tell you her story. But without further ado, welcome to the show, my old friend, Lauren Caselli. Welcome, Lauren. Hey. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, stoked, honored, and so grateful for you being so damn patient. The Zencaster is on drugs today, so just yeah. thank you for... Yeah. I mean, it's 2020. Who I mean, like... <laughs> like Zencaster needs to pivot because something's not, not working here. So uh, for those of you that don't know, because uh, I didn't say it before, but Lauren was in the events space, events planning space before all this, yeah. so... If an industry has gotten hit hard, super fucking hard, it was what she was in. Um, do you want to tell the people a little bit about who you yeah. are and, and where you were? Totally. So uh, as Shante said, we went to college together, graduated in 2007. Did you also graduate yes. in 2007? We are old. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We were like actual classmates. Yes. Um, we played uh, Turkey Bowl that's together, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, anyway. Um, so that's how we met. And then uh, right after college, I went into events almost immediately um, and had been in events my entire career. Um and uh, in 2008, uh, events sort of cratered. Uh, and then again, this year, events sort of cratered. So um, I wanted to sort of start with that uh, 
preface mm-hmm. in that in the span of 10 years of yeah. my career being in events, doing event planning, um, there had been two sort of inflection points that um, got me thinking, uh, and which we'll talk about kind of in the in the last six to eight months about sort of a career in the event world and what that would look like. Um, but fortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, um, I've had both experiences of the event world sort of cratering due to the financial collapse in New York, which I was in at the time. And then, you know, again, during the pandemic. Um, but to answer your question, uh, I've been in events essentially my whole career. Uh, I primarily worked in the first half of my career in legal events, primarily working for a big, you know, big law, top law firm doing client retention events. So using events as a strategic way to keep in touch with high paying clients um, and learned a ton about client service, a ton about connection building with clients and a ton about why sort of events work as a modality when you're pitching you know, big clients, mm, big work, mm-hmm. whether you're a service provider or whatever, um, why why events are a really good modality for marketing and business development and client retention. Moved to Montana, 2012, had had enough of the sort of big city life and um, ended up starting a small event firm here and started working in tech. So uh, tech at the time of 2012 was starting to get its momentum. And um, a lot of the ways that tech companies were starting to put their, get, you know, get in touch with their customers was um, at that time was developing like really interested in and innovative events. Now we think like, yes, of course, you know, it's you know part of Silicon Valley in terms of the show, if you watch it, but at the time, you know, events were sort of like new for the tech industry. And that's uh, kind of where I entered, entered the industry in terms of um, creating events that not only, you know, help tech companies, you know, build their presence, but also build connection with, you know, partners mm-hmm. that they might want to work with in the future. So all of my career has been about using events as an inflection point to sort of sell business. Okay. Um, and then flash, flash forward, <laughs> February, 2020, um, I had booked, you know, a ton of events uh, for this year. We were looking to, you know, at least maintain our revenue with no additional sort of like business development. Uh, and then in March, all of my clients were paused. Some clients were still paying me to do work uh, because they thought that this would all be mm-hmm. over by end of the year. And then in, I would say like May, like early May, it sort of became very clear that nobody was going yeah. to be getting to events this year or even sort of early next mm-hmm. year. Um, so it was sort of like the seven stages of denial or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? It was sort of like, this is not, you know, denial. Like, yeah, yeah this is going to be fine. We're all going to be fine. Right. You know, and then it was sort of this like anger, like how could, you know, anger at myself, like how could I, you know, double down on an industry that, you know, I had experienced in in the past had, you know, cratered uh-huh. in the wake of the financial crisis. Um, and so lots of feelings, lots of panic, I'm sure like anyone else, um, but also, I think one of the decisions that I made and was very lucky lucky to make because I had some financial resources, um, savings mostly, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had saved a ton of money and was planning to invest it in my business this year and instead invested it in uh, myself mm-hmm. to pay myself. Um, but because of that, um, had a meeting with my bookkeeper in like April or May and I said, how much runway do I have to not work? And she said, mm, you can probably get through October. And I said, great. Cool. You know, so I said, I'm not going to work. I'm going to just wait and see what happens and uh, rest and read and sleep and work out and not work out yeah. most days <laughs> and, and and wait and pause. And uh, and that changed. It's changed a ton, a ton. And I think that that uh, was definitely the, the b- biggest inflection point of my year this year. And also um, 
really against my nature. And I think anyone who's like ambitious and type A and, you know, tries to make things, makes their own luck uh, is, it's, it's real, uh, not natural. Dude, for those of you listening, this is why I tell you all, start a podcast. Because then you get to talk to really cool people about really cool shit. I want to dive into like all the money mindset stuff and, and, all, and other stuff that I, that, that I know you can share with us. But if if I may, because I, so for those of you listening, uh, like I said, I reconnected with Lauren at a ConvertKit conference. But then the next year, Lauren put on a like a, a dinner and it was just phenomenal you can tell like this woman is really fucking good at what she does and you folks know i love community i'm all about connection and i i think that what lauren what you do what you did is so special so if we could just hang on to this for one second do do you think that the events and such like if you had to forecast what do you think is it coming back it'll come back really strong i'm just going to come back slowly but like where do you see that going? I think it's so vital for things. Yeah, well, so I'll, t- I'll take sort of a personal tack on it yeah. and sort of an industry tack on it. So one of the things I didn't do, even though the opportunity was presented to me, is I didn't um, I didn't move into virtual events. A lot of companies uh, did, yeah. and they had yeah. to because it was sort of like supportive of their business model. And like no, sh- no shade, I think that, you know, it served an important mm-hmm. need. Um, and also, I think, moved the industry forward faster than, than it would have otherwise, right? I think for a long time, we've all sort of seen some live events being live streamed and or like video content being put on afterwards. And there was sort of like this latent, uh, I don't know, slowness mm-hmm. to, to sort yeah. of pivoting in that direction. Yeah. And I think that the pandemic has sort of helped the event industry become more accessible to people who can't travel, mm-hmm. who don't have yeah. the financial resources to travel. So I think that there is some accessibility stuff that's happening okay. um, faster than than it would have happened otherwise, okay. which is great. Um, the reason that I did not want to go into virtual events, despite sort of some requests to do virtual events, is because I uh, gosh, this is a whole separate conversation. I believe that uh, virtual events don't lend itself to community yeah. in the way that in-person events do. Absolutely. And I also think that we have sort of, a, um, especially in the online space, which I know you play in a lot, I think we have a really confused definition of community now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, and I've talked a little bit about this on Instagram. Um, and it's not something that I'm full 100% uh, like all the way through, but I think it's worth a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the so what a community actually is, and we actually, the best example of this is often faith communities, um, but what a community actually is, is a place where that harnesses the resources of all of its members. So it's like, hey, this person over here does this good work and I'm going to recommend them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's less about the sort of uh, knowledge and expertise of the leader. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And uh, and that is not a model that is well represented, I would say. It sounds like a cult, uh, actually. <laughs> yeah, cult of personality is sort of what sort of the online business world has that sort of... That sounds like... Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, cult of personality. So um, so it's so interesting to me because I get real sensitive whenever mm-hmm. somebody's like, my community of people, especially authors, and I'm not saying that you can't have a yeah. community when you're an author, but um, I think that they're community primarily um, prioritizes its members and makes yes. decisions based on what the members need. Um, and it's less about sort of the, the leader. The leader sets the vision, but the the leader also puts in extreme guardrails to be able to prioritize the community knowledge. And it's a hard balance, right? That. It is much easier to be the, the thought leader at the head of the community making all the decisions and, and being sort of the 
I mean, for lack of a better term, the sort of like guru yeah. mm-hmm. insight person. It is much more challenging and more difficult to get people to to buy into a collective community model. However, um, my argument is that those community models are much more um, stable in terms of churn, quote unquote. Yes. Um, and they also um, build a loyalty that is that is different than sort of the cult of personality Fuck that yes. we see. So lot, lots yes. of things to unpack in that. But No, I love all of it. Absolutely. I fucking yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And that's where events, you know, and so the the way I'd like to like, you know, wedge events in there is that I primarily before the pandemic was working on events for um, for people who had communities, existing communities. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I rarely qualified what a community was before they came to me. And I could see that uh, in the results of their ticket sales, in the results of how their, you know, event, the financials of their event worked. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when, first of all, events are really challenging to make money on. Yeah. And if you are a leader who does, um, has more of a cult of personality mm-hmm. or a thought leader, you have to do a specific type of event to be able to financially make it worth mm-hmm. it than most people think. And that often looks like big conferences or um, lots of sort of like partner sponsorships or you're selling a product at the end. Um, those those events are you know, specific yes. uh, to that style of leader. Whereas community events often are much more stable. They they can be much more uh, small, mm-hmm. like, you know, and by small, I mean like 150 to 300 people. Um, you can charge higher prices because people really, it's not about going to see someone speak for, let's say, 1500 bucks for a ticket. It's about sort of all of the people yes. that you're going to this. be in a community with in person. Um, there's often a higher demand from the community. Um so I try, I often, when I was working on events, prioritize people who had strong communities versus strong sort of thought leaderships and, yes. and strong audiences. So um, I don't know if Dude, that is clear yes. difference, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I know for a fact that the people listening to this just felt some kind of way when you were talking about like, pay $1,500 to go hear like one person and do this. I know, I already know that they were like, yeah. it feels weird in my body. Yeah. I don't know why, but yeah, it feels totally. weird in my body. Right. Yeah. And that's sort of like, a, you know, that's like the Tony Robbins yeah, model, right? It's totally. like, I'm here and then buy my products at yeah. the end. And that's, I'm not here to judge anybody's business model, but um, what I will say is that takes a lot more, uh, it takes a lot more visibility and yes. sort of showing up and marketing and Facebook ads and promotions mm-hmm. and all those things in order to sustain that business model, which is fine. Yeah. Um, then uh, what I see often with like true communities, people who really leverage and harness communities is that the the sort of like sales process and the sort of maintenance of um, maintenance of, you know, whatever is being put, asking for the sale is much more organic. Yes. There's a lot more repeats. That's yes. what I'll say. People repeat much more. Often. I knew I was going to love having you on. It's so <laughs> fucking good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So let's say like moving forward, I mean, one, these people that have already established this before, before Rona and things like that, they'll be fine and moving forward. But do you see, like, I feel like people are going to be itching for in-person on that like connection. Yeah, 100%. I am. (laughs) I'm the person who like traveled for conferences for my job and like would go to conferences. ConvertKit was the only one that I would go to and I would not go to other conferences because I, and now I'm like, I will go to any (laughs) Someone call on, I will go. Let me go. I want to be in a room with people. Uh, So I think that they're going to be, yeah. I mean, as soon as we have sort of like, you know, I'll say it, you know, as controversial as oddly the vaccine is, I think that once we sort of put in regulations for like, you know, how people get vaccinated, I think there's going to be a lot more trust and I think people are going to be scrambling. Um, And here's, here is my caution is uh, you will have, I 
believe people will have a less of a difficult time selling mm-hmm. their, I mean, there's two things are going to happen. One, everybody's going to be hosting events yes, yes. <laughs> as fast as, as they can yes. to capture the desire and the attention. Um, and the make or break success of the event going forward is going to be based on how you put the event on to, to leverage and maximize your community's uh, experience, right? Yes, so you can't just sell the ticket because you want to make short-term easy money. You, you, you're you going to have to really, um, yes. you know, prioritize guest experience and think about, you know, what you're trying to do and create good purpose. And I think that um, anytime there's a strong business opportunity, as we saw with like a Zoom, you mm-hmm. know, this year, or, or even online business this year, right? Strong market opportunity. It was hard not to make money. Yeah this year if you had to, if right. you had the system online um but again and this goes into like being good at business um but what do you do in a year where you know so for events right next year i next year and the next probably year and a half is going to be real good if you have an event-based model or if you um want to go into that but how do you make that last beyond 2021 and 2022 how do you build longevity and and a profit center in your business rather than um something that costs you money or breaks even um, Dude. or loses you money. To be honest, got a lot of clients that lose money out of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Can I, dude, I'm, I'm actually, I just raised my desk to stand up because I'm so stoked about this conversation. <laughs> I freaking love you're speaking my language. Okay. I, I'm like, which question do I want to ask? Cause it's a perfect segue. And you just said about being good at business, kind of the longevity, like truly like building something that's going to be sustainable. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I think it ties really nicely into your, your, uh, uh, what you've done, uh, and where you're at now. But before we go into that, could I maybe just slip in the question and just, it actually just slipped out of my head. So maybe I won't go into that. Uh, Oh no, I I know what the question was in terms of prioritizing community experience. Yes, yes. And yes. You also said there that oftentimes people lose money on events. Yeah, totally. In your your business uh, opinion expertise, th- is there value in that? Like, hey, I'm putting this on. First and foremost, this is about experience. I may lose money. Is that a a, a normal mindset to go in with? Like, where where do you yeah. call that? Yes. So here's what I'll say. There are many ways to host an event and you have to get clear on sort of what your event is for first. Mm -hmm. So I have clients who use events primarily as marketing tools, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. They say, you know, I want to get more people in the door. Um, An event is a really good way to build connection and sort of get attention. Um, It's much more high high cost, right? Mm -hmm. But generally the quote unquote leads that you get out of hosting an event that you do well um, convert. They they build trust. They build trust authority quicker. Um, but it's an expensive way mm-hmm. to get, you know, so, uh, you got to think about that on the back end, right? Like what is the goal of this event? Is it to get the right people in the room? So then you can, you know, sell them a bunch of stuff later, a bunch of like high price stuff, low price, you know, what is, what, what is, yeah. what's the goal? Um, then I have people who run communities, community or, or membership is their, is their business model. And then they have sort of, and it's an online community mm-hmm. or people are or national um and then they bring people together once a year it's a paid you know paid ticket um and it's sort of kind of the flagship way that everybody gets together in person there's often a limited number of tickets um and what i find is that if you have a really strong community that is a really great profit center to add to your business um because people already trust you and they know that you can deliver right because they're having you know and they want to meet other people and it's not about you it's about like I want to go hang out with my friend, mm-hmm. you know, these people that I've been talking to for, for months or years on the internet. Um, and they, we don't have to do all that, like small talk in the beginning. We sort of come together with like a shared, um, shared 
shared method of connection already, um, which is different than going to a conference where you don't know anybody and you don't have a shared point of connection other than maybe you use the same software, right? So, um, <laughs> true. so community, yeah. So if you own a community or if membership is your, is your business model, events can be really lucrative in supporting that model because um, you are you are uh the leap is not far they're already like very warm warm so that's where i see events and that's i will say a lot of the reason that my clients do events Mm -hmm. you know they they run communities and they need someone to sort of manage the like high touch uh, logistics of hosting an in-person event now what i will say uh i'm not doing 10,000 person events i'm usually doing 150 100 150 to 200 sometimes even 250 although um the intimacy changes once Mm -hmm. you get over like well once you get over 200 people the intimacy of getting to know people changes um changes definitely it's a different um feeling um and then the other place where so so we have uh, we have one using events as a marketing tool to then sell into higher higher price products. Mm-hmm. We have events as sort of a profit center in and of itself, which usually only works if you have an existing mm-hmm. online community and not just an online group of people who believe in you, but an online people who pay you to be a part of your yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, so uh, events as a profit center. Um, and then the the third piece is sort of events as a long-term investment in sort of the health of whatever your business is. Gotcha. So I see this a lot with um, software as a service company or um, I, I work with um, some venture capital firms. They bring all of the founders or the people that they've invested in together to do like an, you know, a multi-day event or two-day event in order to build connections amongst their founders that then will be able to help them have a community of people that then they can use to, that will grow and support all of those founders' it, businesses. Yeah. So that's a model that, you know, venture capital uses sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, and then uh, similar with like software as a service product. So ConvertKit's a really great example. That's where we met. Um, they, uh, I don't know a ton about, I don't actually know anything about their finances except for <laughs> I bought a ticket, but what I would imagine <laughs> based on sort of like the ticket price, the sponsorships, like what I can deduce from that is that that is a long-term investment in sort of um, the health of their community, uh, yeah. which is, um, hey, you know, you can come and we can, we can teach you some things about ConvertKit, our software, but also um, this is a part of the culture yes. that, of the company that you're investing in. Um, and we see that like Clavio. I know if any of you are do email marketing for a product, Clavio is another one who does a lot of workshops with their clients. And that is an investment in their, in their client user base, because if they can teach their clients how to use their product and also entertain them at the same time, it's a way to retain them over the life of, you know, they'll continue using Clavio with all of their, you know, upsells and price changes and all that stuff. So that's another way to use events as a um, long-term investment in the health of your long-term revenue Dude, i am this is fascinating to me i <laughs> it really is it's fascinating yeah, to me. I, love, I mean it's interesting Gosh, yeah it's really is... interesting stuff because nobody you know events especially in the online world events are expensive right and you know the the thing about the online business world often is that you know they want to maximize profit mm-hmm. and um, unless you have a really long-term game on events unless you have sort of a company that can support losing money for a year or two because you know the gains are going to be bigger yeah. later it's it's hard to convince someone to invest oh, man. but the but the the future but the, proofing the, of for your business like sure. uh, oh, man, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. so let's move forward with that and this this uh longevity and future proofing yeah. and you 
doing something that I'm not sure that many people did when Rona hit. And you mentioned it earlier, talked to the bookkeeper and you're like, how long do I have to kind of pause and think? Yeah. Can you tell us what that was like and what you've learned or are learning through that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I would love to say I was evolved enough to uh, like be very zen when all of my clients, like within a week or two, <laughs> cancel my client my client work. Um, but no, I was not. I you know panic panic tried a lot of things. I did workshops. I emailed my you know I kind of did all the things that I think a lot of people uh -huh. did in the beginning because I wasn't sure, right? I didn't know what it looked like. Um, and also kind of on the personal side, my partner had had a job in, uh, where the heck was he? Uh, Portland. He started his job on February 1st-ish or mid-February and was laid off like within six weeks. Um, so he came back. We were planning on moving to Portland. He came back to Montana. Uh, and so that was, you know, personally quite tough supporting him um, mm -hmm. and uh, and also myself, kind of like all the grief in the household. Yeah. Um, so I think what happened was, so I talk about therapy a lot because I think it's really important. Um, and I'm sure, you know, just as we all believe in, you know, physical therapy and physical, physical healing for our body, there's also, you know, mental, mental yeah. healing and that is really important to being a business owner because you're confronted with it so much so often. Um, and, uh, what I could tell from the way that I was behaving and reacting to, uh, you know, my partner being in the house, my, you know, panic, panic movements around trying to like drum up business, uh, my, you know, inter interviews and conversations with other business owners who were, you know, not in the event industry, um, was that I was like, uh, essentially felt like I was in a, uh, like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word, like I was trying, I was basically in sort of like a straitjacket mm. and I was like trying to get out of it. And all I was doing was like making it tighter. And um, so I was like, well, in the past when this has happened to me, when I felt like I've been trying to, uh, you know, get out of something and moving and like struggling is the thing that's making it yeah. <laughs> tighter. Um, I was like, well, let me see if I can do the opposite of what my body, my, my natural instinct is and that was not doing anything. Yeah. And that in and of itself was like hard and liberating. Yeah. This was also, I think, you know, with all the racial violence, yes. you know, this was like in May, yes. May and June, you know, so it was kind of like, you know, much as much as I would like to credit my own sort of like self uh, with this, I think there was also, you know, lots of things, ha things happening in my, you know, sm my small town and across country. And um, it just felt impossible. And so I was like, you know what, let me try something that doesn't feel like I can do it. Uh, which was not to do anything and to just sort of wait, wait it out, which, you know, again, if you're type A and you sort of quote unquote yep. make your own luck, it, your, yeah. your, uh, your existence is somewhat validated by movement, yes. movement physically and movement sort of in your work. And so to be able to, to, to not move uh, is very counter. It was counter to mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. And, um, but I did, you know, I had had some experiences in the past with my therapist where I would just like noodle on something and work, you know, like work really hard to like find all the different angles. And it still took me like three to six months to get out yeah. of it. And so I was like, well, what if I do nothing? Like, will it still take me three to six months to get out of it? And can I also like read some books mm -hmm. and go outside and mountain bike and, uh, you know, take, go on picnics with my partner and get a puppy. Like, can I still do all of those things and also still get out of it? And the answer, surprising, 
is yes, if you do nothing, it sort of also works itself out. <laughs> so, um, and part of that just has to do with like knowing myself yeah. enough and, and have being in situations like this of intense sort of frustration and grief and, and, um, and being able to recognize that experience again and then taking action by not taking action and trying that out, knowing, hey, if in six months I still feel stuck, then I'll, then I'll do something about it. Um, but I'm going to try this now. I love this. I love this. I, fucking, I, I love this. So in terms of, and you said this before the actual podcast, but in terms of doubling down, but not doubling down yeah. on the thing that you're really good at. And totally. uh, being like, hey, a solution here is actually, I just got to get better at business. Right. Yeah, can, totally. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So one of the concepts that I've been thinking about is like short-term money versus long-term mm -hmm. money, right? And so short-term money is kind of like, um, it's the launch. It's the like, you know, let me email, you know, for any of you, I'm, you know, have always been a service provider. And so for any of you who are in the services industry, it's sort of like, let me email a bunch of people and see if they need my work. Let me email all my past clients and see if they got to come, they want to come in. You know, it's sort of like a, how can I get money in the door as fast as possible? And that I think, um, is a, it's a fine skill to have it's actually really important in times of like this mm -hmm, of times mm -hmm, of crisis mm -hmm, mm -hmm. however it's not it's not something you can do consistently or repeatedly um because your your audience gets fatigued yeah. right there you know, and wh whoever your audience is if it's you know 20 past clients you know and you ask them that three times a year they're gonna be like oh my gosh stop you know no i don't need to come in but i know you know so um so the short-term money skill of, okay, how do I drum up business in, in a cash crunch in a time where I need to be able to, to do that is a skill to have and something that I think, you know, my, my dad was in business for a long time and was real good at short-term money because he always was like running out of it uh, in his business. And so I like kind of built, you know, growing up, I was always like, okay, let me, um, you know, I'll babysit or I'll walk some dogs or I'll, you know, do all these things. Now there's all kinds of things you can do. And so I kind of like started with my short-term money skill. What can I do right now, even if it's not like the thing that I want to be doing forever to be able to like get some money in the door and, and give myself something to do. So did some of that. And then there was this idea of, of long-term money, which is like, okay, how do I chip away at the sort of rebuild of, you know, build the trust of the people that I was serving, or maybe it's new people. And how do I do that consistently enough to be able to put in place a system for long-term money, which is not having to go to the audience constantly at launch, but to say, mm -hmm. for people to say, I trust you so much that I'm going to reach out to you because you you have proven that you will, are showing up long enough. And so um, that is another skill, a business skill that I think, um, especially when you're early in your business, I think is it's a lot more intangible because you're doing doing so much to start the business to begin yes. with. You're like learning so much about business. You're like learning about client delivery or about, you know, course creation or about, you know, there's all, all the of things. these sort of tactical pieces that you're learning. And so the long-term money stuff doesn't come to the forefront until you have been honestly through quite a few burnout cycles where you're like, why do I have to keep launching? And the reason is um, you haven't invested in sort of the long-term money, which you do so well, like you do this really, really well. You invest in your sort of like community Thank you. as a long-term strategy. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that that is something that in sort of a world of business that people, uh, that is all about fast money yes. um, and like how quickly and how yes, big and, yes. you know, like, um, 
that is definitely underrated, but also provides more stability and sort of, you know, again, if you're in, committed to business for the rest of your life, like you, you got to be good at long-term money. Yeah, this <laughs> is... Otherwise you're going to be tired. I love that you, this is, a, this is such a skill here. I love that you have, have uh, identified these things and given them names. Like, I think that's like a huge skill that, that we see that people are, are really good teachers um, educators yeah. are like, here's what is actually happening. Like, you know, you can all feel it and you know that there's something different, but then Lauren's like, and here's the name of this. Uh, oh, thank you. I, you know, I will, here's another thing I'm trying to do is like to give credit to the people who have taught me things. And I think, and I'm going to share, I don't know if she created it. Uh, Tarzan ah, Jay, yeah. has said the words either like short, short-term game and long-term mm-hmm. game. And so I, I don't know, she has, so she sort of like turned me on to this idea that there's like two bits of business. Um, but I think for me, it really always comes down to like the cash money. Flow. Yeah, no, I love it's yeah. like, yes, it's the unit in my opinion, the universe makes no mistakes. And I was ju- I just had a call last night with my mafia. And uh, this is something you're talking about. And it, you just you fucking nailed it where when you're just starting, it's so hard to understand that and see the, the benefit there and that long term money, uh, you know, payoff and the investment and the necessity of that one we're in, especially if everything's digital business now, and like, six figure launches and like how much money can you make right now and so and also like yeah, there's all the shit that's going on in general but it's it's you nailed it and like it's also super tough in the beginning because you're doing a million fucking things and you're like i'm not seeing the roi like why am i even doing this thing like ah just boring yeah and there's also i will say there are also some business models that don't quite support long-term money in the way that i think my my business model and other other people who have a service arm to their business mm-hmm. um, services are long term money for the most part because it is all about referral right it's all about like did you do a good job at this work um, can I trust you to like can I trust you enough to to do this work for someone that I yes. like and trust um, and so if you have a service arm to your business it is all you know it's it's all about long term money and what I you know so I teach you know pricing pricing big projects um and part of and unfortunately my students are like okay I want to pitch a big project and I'm like okay how much do your current clients trust you so that they can refer you to someone who's not going to blink when you say okay this is going to be 30 grand Uh right this project that I want to do um and a lot of that has to do with sort of committing to um slowly developing relationships because slowly developed relationships are the people who are going to feel comfortable investing tens of thousands of dollars into your service work if that is a model you know so um i I do think it 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 supports different business models differently this idea of long-term money um but it's something to you know if you you out out there listening (laughs) uh have a model that that is you know a little bit more is less kind of like long-term money more about short-term money you know i i encourage you and challenge you to think like what long-term money looks like for you i you know before the episode we hopped on and and lauren asked like who is your audience and i'm like now as you're saying this i'm like every single person about audience is this is what they do it's all it's a service-based industry everyone that's listening whether they're doing you know pt cairo massage yoga whatever people are doing like it's all service-based yeah and also you know again like in that model so that's like a specific model and i think leans lends itself to sort of like you know hourly pricing however if you all of a sudden do such great hourly work and somebody's like hey we want to we want to bring you into our you know five thousand person company to do this regularly what does that look like and you're like i have no idea like is it a retainer is it a you know is it a monthly you know what what does that look like you know obviously i'm sure people could there's other people who have done this but when you think about the long that's what long term looks like in that big business model how do you say 
okay, yeah, I can execute, I can be the person who can execute this project and hire the people and like do this long term for you company and in return you pay me. You know? Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing that pivot. That's that's really largely where the cash based uh, model for what we do for this, the, the, I don't know, the, the movement space, the healthcare industry is going. It's not, so it's not necessarily like, yes, there are people that are going in and like working for Google and working for Facebook and stuff, but there's also people that are looking to be like, yeah, if we're trying to, you know, lean more towards the, or to go more towards like kind of prevention model instead, sure. then yeah, it is about not, not an hourly rate. It is about doing monthly memberships and kind of changing the model. So it's not huge 5,000 people, but still, I love yeah. what you said about, and this one of my professors early on in PT school said it like, do your people trust you enough to refer yeah. you to somebody that they love? Will they refer you to their family? That's when you know right. you're doing a good job. And like Lauren said, that shit takes time. That's a slowly, yeah. it's a slow burn there. Yeah. And yeah, the payoff is huge. Yes. And I learned this, you know, I wish I could take credit for this, but I was really fortunate early on in my business to partner with a community that essentially is <laughs> their relation relationship building consultancy company Ooh. which basically they're like you outsource your relationship building to us and we do it on your behalf, wow which is like a crazy model but um but that you know they would often say like look you know our deals are big but they take two years yeah. often we meet someone at a conference or whatever and we keep in touch and we send them articles and we do the whole networking thing and then bam two years later yes. they come to us with a multi-six-figure deal maybe yes. you know like that's mm -hmm. an example not actually their real numbers but um <laughs> Cause it's not my info to share, but like when you think about, uh, when you think about your long-term money, it has high payoff if you are committed and focused enough to know that every sort sort of like chisel yes. in the stone yes. is going to like help sell that deal. You speak so. in my language. I want to keep talking about your chiseling in the stone. You, you <laughs> saw this in your stories the other day. Uh, you write a blog every day. I do. Can you talk about that chiseling process? <laughs> four days a week um yeah so i think so the reason i again here i'm gonna cite my teachers uh philip morgan consulting he's a consultant primarily i think works with tech i found him i can't remember who i found him through um but he has he recommends publishing daily to an email list mm -hmm. um and the reason that he recommends this is because uh anytime you are trying to build trust and sort of authority, you need a way to sharpen your saw around your ideas. Yes. And great if you have a thought partner that you can call every day <laughs> to be like, hey, I'm thinking about this. Can you give me feedback? Um, but the way to do that is, you know, if you're selling any sort of like service or like intellectual property or strategy-based work, the way to do that is to think out loud um, and this is my way of thinking out loud, right? Yes. So I don't write a blog post that's going to be like super SEO optimized and have a really great content every day. I basically take what I'm thinking about in the morning, in the shower, or kind of on my dog walk with my dog, and I put it on the internet so that I can get clarity around it. Yes. Um, so it's sort of for me, but I so it's sort it. of for you, but it's also for me. And also it starts really great conversations with people. Um, and so then I get that feedback in a, in a different way. Um, and you know, that's sort of what visibility is. That's what this conversation is. I didn't, you know, full transparency. I didn't like come on being like, well, here's what we're going to talk mm -hmm. about. But this conversation is helping me sharpen my yes. ideas around Georgia money and yes. all the things of community and events and things like that. And so that's why it's really important for all of y'all out there to be visible because sometimes it's not for your community, there I mean, you go. It is, but it's also for you. Like it's yes. for you to be able to to articulate your ideas so that when you get in that boardroom and they're like we want you to create a wellness program for our community you can say great here's what i see and let me talk 
clearly about it rather than like, oh, how am I going to do that? Um, it helps you for that moment. Lauren, I'm in love with you. Yeah. You stay, you're speaking my fucking language. Like, right. yes, this is, that's exactly why I post on Instagram. So you do a yeah. blog. I'm like, this is like, this is literally it. The process is like, what am I thinking about this morning? What's resonating with me this morning? And it's the same reason I encourage people to post every day. It's for them. I need you to get the yeah. reps in. I need you to figure out what you like talking about, what you're good talking about, what you're actually talking about. Right. I yeah. What, what starts a conversation? Yeah. There are times when I post things that's like real, real Georgetown, lots of jargon. <laughs> and I read it and I'm like, I love this. And I get no feedback. Out. And I'm like, okay, not for public consumption. Like this is too much. I gotta, I gotta backpedal. I gotta go somewhere else. Not my dissertation at, you know, midnight on my, you know, final due tomorrow. This is, I gotta be, I gotta be, you know, I gotta, you know, and that's, you know, that's a learning process. So. This is so good for, you're also doing, so blogging, you know, writing, that's your way. I also see that you've challenged yourself to a weekly, it's a weekly live. Yeah, try to do bi-weekly. Bi-weekly, that's fine. That's, fine. that's what I recommend. But... Weekly, yeah, we'll go with weekly. What, what is the, uh, why? Um, well, gosh, why? Uh, so I think that we all process things in different ways, yeah. right? You, you, Instagram is a, Instagram is a different format, mm-hmm. right? There's a photo, catch attention, and then there's option for you, a caption, um, that helps people to, that helps like distill what the caption yes. is. Sometimes it's video on Instagram, right? Um, and I think that there is incredible power to being able to, uh, speak out loud without interaction, um, and be clear. And I think for me, so going to the course model, so I had launched a course, uh, in 2018 and it did relatively, relatively well. I had some latent demand on my email list for a more accessible way of working with me. And so, you know, it was fine, but I think one of the things that I realized, was my uh, hole in my learning and my expertise was understanding how to uh, string together ideas in a way that was accessible and made sense to other people without their interaction, Mm -hmm. without them being like, wait, I have a question about this, Mm -hmm. which you can do when you're in a classroom, right? Like you can, or when you're one-on-one with someone, but you can't, it's really hard to do when you are teaching concepts in a digital course format. And so when I think about, you know, is there a way for me in the, again, this is like a long-term money strategy. (laughs) Is there a way for me in the future to monetize some of the concepts that I'm developing in my daily blogging? Um, Some of that is going to have to come from uh, being able to teach something simply uh, and talk uh, slowly. And, and this is the the saw sharpening for that moment when that comes. I am so here for it. Lives are the shit. Yeah. I love it. And And I'm sure I'll get interaction, but right now it's me. And that's the best part. That's like, that's where you you nailed it. I love that you're able to just to distill these concepts. That is where you get the skills is can you speak about this clearly without someone giving you feedback, immediate feedback, without someone asking you the questions. Most people are pretty good when when someone comes in and they're like, I have a question about this specific thing. That that makes it a lot easier. But can you just go on there? And that's, that's also the beauty of when you first start is that there probably won't be a lot of people on there, which in my humble opinion is a good thing because you can't mess up. Like in general, you can't mess up anyway, but if no one's watching, you definitely can't mess up. So it kind of takes nope. off some of that, like, oh, I'm a little bit you know, nervous, anxiety about it, but you nailed yeah. it. Just sharpening that, that saw, I, oh, you nailed it. This is, yeah. damn, Lauren, this is, how are they going? Yeah. Are you liking them or you're like, oh, they suck? Yeah, no, it's good, you know, collecting of the collecting of the questions and, um, 
you know, it's a different process. Again, like when you sell services, you really, you know, you're selling one-on-one to people generally, um, or, you know, if you have the benefit of working in a practice or, or working alongside other referral partners, you know, there's, there's some sort of, um, there's some sort of, uh, like you get to be your, uh, the here's what I think. The selling is much more easier when you are one-on-one with a client because you can ask them, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, tell me, you know, tell me how you're feeling. You know, you can sort of have that interaction um, to be able to, you know, whether it's diagnose the problem, which I do, you know, quite often when people come to me for events or even for business coaching. Um, What I found is really tough for me is selling to an audience that doesn't give me feedback. And the way that I do that is by getting to know them either one-on-one, doing interviews, getting up close, asking for feedback. And that is like vulnerable hard work, Mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of people don't do it. I think where they say like, I'm going to send a survey and then have someone else distill the survey results and present them to me, which, which, uh, it takes away a little bit of the, um, ability for you to get to know yourself, Mm -hmm. to get to know sort of like, you know, how am I reacting to this feedback? How do I feel about this? How is this true? Is this not true? Um, And so I think that there is some, I think in in these lives, uh, it helps me sort of get comfortable with the fear of getting feedback from people that I don't know Mm -hmm. um, and working through sort of that discomfort of potentially someone disagreeing with me or you know, or even seeing me and saying, you know, sometimes I get the most nervous when it's like someone from college on there that like has, not, I like don't know what their job is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what are they, why are they watching me talk about like business? Like, oh my gosh, are they going to, they went to business school. Are they going to think I'm like, you know, wow. and so like just working through that, yeah. <laughs> like online, be like, this person is watching me. I feel very uncomfortable and I'm going to be okay with it. Lauren, is that only, do you only feel that with like oration or like you write all the time and people from Georgetown may read it but yeah but I don't know that they're reading okay, it whereas like it when they're on live and I see them pop on I'm okay. like get off here okay. turn off turn it, it off God, so you can actually Sean, see it. specifically speaking to Sean Blue out there <laughs> stop watching my lives Sean I'm just kidding this is fascinating I love this <laughs> I I love this I love seeing your process right now so can we fast forward a little bit not even fast forward but you're working on your you've you're writing four times a week. Is that you said five times a week? Yeah, if I can get five amazing. times a week, I feel like a champ. But usually it's only four. I mean, that's amazing. I, you're you're going live. You're doing the post. You're sharing. You're sharpening the 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 saw, the proverbial saw. Where are you yeah. at with with business right now? What what has no, work. what's happened? Yeah. So here's what I will say. You know, um, I would love to be the story of like, and then I started a new business, and in six months I made thirty thousand dollars. And the re- yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reality is, um, so when I started doing events in 2000, I think my first client booked me in 2014 for an event in 2015. Um, what I then did to raise my profile, I mean, I can only say this looking backwards, but um, I felt sort of what we talked about community around events. I felt that very deeply in my own community in Montana. It's a small town at the time. Um, didn't have a lot of community for small business owners who weren't sort of of the brick and mortar small town business style. And so I kind of pioneered, although now that that's very common, I sort of at the time pioneered that in my small town. Mm-hmm. And that year, uh, I sort of built an email list of people who were coming to my events. I would write to them every now and then. Um, sometimes I would do workshops. They would buy tickets to events. It was very much like a business that supported my own visibility in my town um, that then led to client work, not from those people, but from sort of me be- just having a higher profile in town and being gotcha, recommended. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, that led to other client work and blah, 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 blah. So I had been writing to this email list for, gosh, since 2015. And, you know, again, I didn't sell to them much. I didn't write to them consistently, but it just sort of was like an asset that I had built. 
over time. And so this year, <laughs> I was like, oh, look at all these yes. 3,000 people that I have on a list uh, that have come to me from various things. And some are about events. Some came to me from events and wanted to hear about events and whatever. Um, and so I had built this asset over the last, to be honest, five years, uh, slowly and unintentionally. And I had the asset and I said, well, if any time was now, it's now. Yes. And uh, I pitched to that list and, um, you know, some people had trusted me because they knew, knew me from the community and they, uh, you know, I'd met them at events. They had jumped on my list from Instagram and I was able to, you know, book my, I had space for three clients. I booked them almost within a week. And then I launched a group program, you know, two months later. And I think I had space for 10 and I booked seven, eight. Oh, um, and so some of that was satisfying, like latent demand mm -hmm. that was on my, mm -hmm. on my email list anyway. And that gave me, to be honest, it gave me enough cash flow to continue focusing on this work um, and not going, not pivoting to virtual events. So I was really lucky in a lot of ways in that I had built this sort of thing that had some latent demand um, and that people trusted me enough to then be able to invest in me at a, you know, pretty high, higher rate. Um, and uh, so it's going well. Can I, <laughs> I have since booked three more clients. Can I ask why um, you say that you were lucky? Um, I would say, like, well, like you did that. Yeah, I did that work with no sort of like foresight. Yeah. And, um, uh, but I think the timing, you know, I think everything's about timing, gotcha. right? Okay. And so okay. like, gotcha. I, I definitely never at any point was like, I'm going to monetize this email list as the primary method methodology of my business. It was really sort of like, I'm building this, you know, to be able to, you know, give insight. Maybe I'll monetize it. Maybe I won't. I don't really know what it's going to look like. But it was sort of this, again, you know, I, I wasn't sure what it was. And I was I was lucky that I had made the decision to do that, however badly <laughs> and unintentionally, um, because it actually really supported yeah. supported the business model that I'm that I'm, you know, going into um, right now. So. So yeah, yeah. I mean, some of it's about time, you know, and that's the thing is like, I think we've all been, we've all been quote unquote lucky over the last 10 years before this year to sort of have a somewhat stable economy for most mm -hmm, industries. Mm -hmm. And so some of us have been able to, to grow our businesses, you know, on the internet with the, you know, permeation of the internet. And if you want to be in business forever, if you find it's exciting and fun, you're going to have bad year, a year, bad year, bad years. And so being able to sort of, again, do things that may not pay off right now and, and trust that eventually they might pay off is a skill to have. Of, which I, she says to herself as she <laughs> you know and so you know even if this year you were like yeah I'm an online business and it, I crushed it great amazing you're gonna have a bad year yeah. no matter what you know it might be a per bad personal year right mm -hmm. and so you got to build in scaffolding to be able to support for those bad years and and I often think you know again balancing the concept of short-term money and long-term money always sharpening those skills so that when you do have your bad year, you can call on your short-term money and say, okay, here's what I need, whether that's a loan, whether that, you know, so, so building those scaffolding yeah. sort of uh, slowly over time is what's going to, to help the health and the lifetime of, of your business. So here for it. I, I'm trying to think of a, a clever segue, but I'm just going to like just throw it out there because I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't just open up the floor for you to talk about money in any oh, way, shape it. or form that you want 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. That's kind of like leans into the business model. You know, it's funny. People are like, well, what do you do now? And I was like, still trying to figure it out. And I think that um, what I loved about event planning, what I love about business is the opportunity for business to put hands in the money, uh, sorry, put money in the hands (laughs) of people who otherwise might not have access to that money. Um, And that can happen in two ways, right? You can start your own business and build, you know, now build an online following and, and, you know, build trust in your community and, um, and sort of, you know, do it that way, or you can build your own business and then spread your resources around. And that is like a, you know, we're seeing a lot more of that today, uh, with sort of like all the, you know, uh, racial violence and, you know, attention about sort of like, what does an ethical business really look Mm -hmm. like? And what does that mean? And a lot of it comes down to money and capitalism, Mm -hmm. you know, and how we exist in our current society and sort of questioning how business is done, quote unquote, business as usual. Um, And so that's what I love. I love about business. I think it's so interesting because it's such a testament to sort of like who we are as people, how we value things, how we value other people. And so when I sort of went into this, like, uh, so what I do primarily now is I help service providers price their work for big projects. Mm -hmm. You know, everything we just talked about, how do you confidently, how do you get ready for that moment when you're asked to sit in a room um, and you want to pitch a $30,000 project? Like what, what work do you have to be doing to get ready for that? And, um, and the, the premise that we start with usually is that the money that you receive and the money that you spend is, uh, a, you know, balance sheet of your values. And if your values are not prioritized, uh, you will not feel good about doing business. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of try to start with that foundation. When I work with my clients, we start with that foundation. Um, and usually I work with women and usually women don't ever pay themselves Mm -hmm. enough. And we sort of try to, we, we don't sort of, we sort of, we start from the premise of, uh, if you are not paying yourself, you will not be able to pay others. Mm-hmm. And that uh, is a culture that we cannot afford. And so you have to you have to start paying yourself. You have to start paying yourself well, um, because when you start paying yourself well, you have the opportunity to pay other people well. Um, and certainly people at the top aren't going to decide to pay you well unless you decide to pay yourself well. So you got to do it, because if you don't do it, what chance yeah. do the rest of us have? Yes. I love this. I love this. Lauren, I'm going to kind of cut you off here. If people want to work with you. They want to follow you. They want to learn from you. They want to read your blogs. They want to see you on Instagram live. How can they do that? Yeah. Well, fortunately it's, it's all the Lauren Caselli. So uh, I'm at Lauren Caselli underscore. Although if you can get to Lauren Caselli on Instagram, you'll probably find me. So I'm at Lauren Caselli underscore on Instagram. I do a lot of stories where I do thinking out loud and usually that's the most consumable content. Um, And if you are curious about pricing, like pricing psychology, like how pricing works, um, the different ways you can price, there's like a thousand different ways you can price. That's usually what I write about in my blog. Um, It's musings about like, you know, pricing, pricing models, when specific pricing models work for what services and what products. Um, And that's in my blog, laurencaselli.com backslash blog dude i already know that people are gonna that's like they're gonna be flocking there right now it's the biggest question they get people get super and I, when i say people i'm really gonna be honest it's always females uh yeah the men never seem to care about that they're like this right. is the price and i am worth it and this is what i'm charging totally and I'm like, yeah okay. and there's like that's a whole yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is part two of the conversation <laughs> but <laughs> but i do explore some of that like why why you know uh why do, why do mostly women, my clients, feel uncomfortable charging ah. high rates? And I think that, you know, there's a lot of reasons, but, you know, that's, you know, that. many, many blog post series it about is. that. This will all be linked in the show notes, folks. So you don't have to go crash your car or anything to go find that right now. We will link all of the things. Lauren, awesome. 
I'm looking at the time. Don't want to wrap us up, but be, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone to, to wrap it up is you've all, you've left us with so much already. You've just given us so much. And I'm, I'm super like, I'm literally, I'm, this is the first podcast episode I've ever done standing up. So this is, I'm oh. fucking stoked about this. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to, that we didn't talk about that we, that we did talk about? You want to reiterate anything you want to leave the people with? Yeah. Um, I would say the obviously you have to be excellent at your craft but when you're thinking about how do I make an impact with my business it's going to be being good at business and so the more work that you can do to be good at business and I don't mean just like study all your favorite online entrepreneurship people um, like dig into business dig into your favorite brands um, because that is sort of how we got to where we are today and if you can understand pricing and selling and um, audience and marketing and, you know, all of those things, you're, you're going to put in guardrails to create a really good business um, that, that hopefully lasts as a part of your legacy and not just until you reach a million dollars. So that's it. Ah, this is hands down one of my favorite episodes. You tied together so much stuff. This, Lauren, this is remarkable. Thank you for taking the time to do, to, to chat and I'm, yeah, it was so fun. Man, oh, is, I love talking about this stuff. This so great. So good. Damn, so good. Thank you. Thank you for this. Awesome. You folks listening, thank you. I know you could have been doing anything, or within reason, I guess, uh, but you chose to listen to us. And for that, we are both endlessly, endlessly appreciative. I am not going to ask for any shares or subscriptions or whatever. If you liked this episode, if you love this episode, if it resonated with you, do me a favor and go check out Lauren's blog. Like she nailed it there. Truly, together we rise. So the better you do, the better I do, the better we all do. So go and, and get your learn on over there. All right, officially wrapping it up. Until next time, friends, Lauren and Maestro. 